Good morning. Welcome to Thriving Theology. This is Mike, and I'll be your host for the next 37 to 39 minutes. Hopefully it's not that long, because I'll be late to work. I am running a little bit late today, which does happen. And I'm especially running late getting things posted online. Man, I'm so far behind. I just, I don't know. Lots of stuff going on here in the autumn and winter, early winter in Japan, and things just get kind of crazy. Uh, it's no excuse, really, but anyway. This is where we are. I don't think I posted anything in about a month. Which is pretty long for me. Not to post anything, but man, it is a beautiful day here today. Um, sun is shining, the sky is blue, hardly a cloud in the sky. Autumn colors are are in uh, full array. We've got the full array of colors from browns to orange to yellow, and of course, the evergreens are evergreen. Um, yeah, so we are in the first week of Advent. And uh, perhaps more than any other part of the story of Christ, there are quite a few customs and traditions that we hold dear right around Christmas that uh, may not be true. Um, a couple of myths that uh, recently have been, well, I should say a couple. Uh, one specifically about the birth of Christ that's been broken on the internet recently is uh, the, the nature of the place in which Christ was born. Um, we often refer to it as a stable. I've heard it called even a cave. Uh, and we always think it's a, you know, dank, dark, place where just the family was probably there and maybe a few shepherds, but basically isolated and alone in the dark and the cold, uh, Christ was born is how we think of those things, right? Though it must have been a starry night because the heavenly hosts and all that jazz happened, obviously. Um, <clears throat> hey, what if it was jazz? That'd be cool. be very different from the uh, image of, of handle that we have. <laughs> Glory to God and peace on earth. It's a very classical kind of anthem, obviously. It'd be funny if it was jazz. I wonder what that would be like if it were jazz. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so anywho, um, heading to work and uh, thinking about Advent. So we we have our gathering, in, in a, actually, tomorrow night, our weekly gathering on Thursday night. And we'll do, do something for the first Advent uh, candle, which I believe is hope. Probably sing some Christmas songs. And we have a lot of kids this year, so I, I'm really interested in, in figuring out a good way 
in which we can incorporate the kids into our Advent uh, Advent time of uh, commemoration, right? Teach them about hope, for example, and things like this. So I'll be thinking about that. Um, not sure how that's going to work out, but yeah. So this uh, week will be hope. So back to the uh, the myth busting. Um, <clears throat> more than likely, uh, the place that Christ was born was the bottom floor uh, of a uh, family member, um, a, a relative of Joseph. Um, and it could have even been, you know, possibly his parents' house. We don't know where Joseph was born. Um, some things allude to the fact that he lived in Nazareth. We know that, at least. But we don't know that he wasn't born in Bethlehem, uh, which is a possibility, apparently. Um, and so, most likely, see, there's two, there's a couple words that have been mistranslated. One is the word for in that we usually hear. It's translated as like a hotel and inn. And the other one is uh, the stable or the place where where Christ was born. Uh, those two things um, can be translated in many different ways. And, and uh, somebody at some point decided the way that we would translate it, at least in English, and it made it <clears throat> quite hard to get that, makes it quite hard to get that imagery out of our head that, that Christ was born in a barn, basically. Quite possibly open to the elements, surrounded by uh, filthy animals, and, and born there because there was no room in the so-called hotel. But actually, uh, taking a closer look at the languages and cross-referencing those, uh, those words with uh, the Septuagint and other uh, first century sources, we get kind of a better idea that actually people lived in a house uh, that sometimes had uh, different rooms and they always had a dedicated room for travelers or guests. Um, they had rooms where, where they would always, uh, if guests came to stay, that they would always have open. And then the family stayed on a common, you know, kind of a common floor uh, all together and and sometimes that was kind of coupled with uh, animals living on the first floor as well they would bring them in especially for the night and so to say that he was born in a barn is kind of a misnomer because in that day and age kind of everybody lived in a barn sort of what we call a barn today except that people also live there um, they didn't keep the, the separation that we do in the West with their animals you know, if you think about keeping your animals safe from thieves and things like that, or, or wolves or whatever, the safest place is to put them where you keep yourself safe. And animals were so important to that to that culture that they would have done that, um, especially uh, normal uh, families uh, who were of limited, you know, wealth and resources. Uh, they would have had to do that. And so, yeah, apparently. Jesus was not uh, indeed born in a barn, but born in a family house and probably a relative of 
his father Joseph um, or it could have even been a relative of Mary I suppose as she was also from the house of David um, <clears throat> but but certainly not quite uh, the scene that, that we we have in the you know the typical nativity scenes that, that have been handed down to us for years and years so the chances are even that there were family members around helping and assisting Mary uh, in the birth that there were people in the house that they would have been excited uh, to 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 witness the birth of a child um, and so yeah there may not have been room on the guest floor right which is probably how that word should have been translated but there was certainly room in the house and so they stayed with the family themselves who owned the house and very likely Jesus was born uh, amongst relatives and loved ones like almost anybody else would be in those days <clears throat> in a common house in a common way uh, yes he happened to be traveling but um, yeah so that's kind of interesting right I mean it kind of changes the dynamic a bit of how we look at Christmas and those things So, yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> guy trying to road rage me a little bit. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> he was in the right-hand lane, but he didn't use his turning signal, and then he kind of stayed halfway in one lane, halfway in the other, and I pulled up beside him, and he took offense at that. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my foreign face. I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that, that changes things to me a little bit. You know, it... it um, I don't know, it brings Jesus down to earth a little bit more uh, than he was before, right? Um, if he were to come today, he'd probably be born in a hospital, much the same way everybody else is born. Yeah, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily recognize him. Now, of course, you have the miraculous things around the birth, you know, not, not to mention the birth itself being miraculous, but the uh, the angels and the, the angels in the sky and the, the shepherds witnessing that. Um, <clears throat> you have the, of course, the star of Bethlehem and the uh, the the prophecy uh, pursuing wise men. Uh, and you have angels appearing to various people at various times. Um, there's still a lot of uh, a lot of special things that happen uh, before, during, and, and after the birth of Jesus. But um, 
that aspect's kind of interesting, right? He probably wasn't, although he was laid in a manger, uh, that's be because he was on that common floor where the animals would have slept with the family. Um, so, anyway, kind of a kind of an interesting thing. I don't know what it necessarily changes, um, but I think it it does um, emphasize even more the humanity of Christ, the fact that he was born into a family, right? He had relatives. He took family trips. And, uh, so forth. So, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, quite, quite similar to us. Um, and of course, the fact that, that Jesus became uh, one of us um, in order to to lead us to to a better uh, understanding or a better place or a better way of life uh, a better worldview um, I think should give us great hope that he would he would go to those lengths uh, to bring about our own salvation Um, and so, you know, the, the, the hope aspect, um, of this, this week, um, I think is one that's really pertinent and needed. Uh, there's a lot of cynicism, uh, in this world. Uh, there's a lot of distrust in in authorities and, and in religion uh, and in governments and parents and bosses and anybody anybody that's in authority these days kind of has it hard right it's kind of difficult it's a difficult place to be um, not to mention all the all the horrible things that continue to go on in the world such as war and famine poverty uh, we have the, uh, the separation the, you know the huge chasm between rich and poor between certain races <laughs> we still have plenty of things in the world that need to be fixed uh, honorable mention goes to you know environmental issues uh, animals becoming extinct deforestation possibility that global warming is a thing, right? Uh, going with that, the, the, the raising uh, of, the, of the ocean level, right? The rising ocean levels. Um, <clears throat> we need hope, right? Hope is still something that we, we desperately uh, seek after and when we find it, cling to. Uh, and when we, when we can't find hope, we, we find something to numb our senses, I think. Uh, that's what uh, alcohol and drug consumption is all about. Uh, that's what movies and entertainment is all about. Getting our mind off our, our current affairs. 
and thinking about something else. And a lot of TV is about uh, watching other people go through uh, bad problems. Perhaps it makes us feel not so bad about our own. I've been watching this uh, Netflix um, drama called The Crown, and it's all about uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, from her childhood and through her, uh, what do you say, regency? Through her queenship? I'm not sure how to say that exactly. But it's been following the reign of Queen Elizabeth in the UK. Um, and, uh, you know, that family, well, at least in the drama, had all kinds uh, of problems. Various things uh, have been happening and, and have happened. Um, as every family has. Um, and yet, because of their unique position as uh, monarchs or royalty, um, there's a whole layer uh, that goes along with that. You know, there are expectations and even laws by which they have to uh, follow because uh, of the unique relationship between the British government and the monarchy. Um, <clears throat> so when we watch television, not everything is entertaining, right? Not everything makes us feel happy. Some things just, just help us uh, see other people who are also in pain, and therefore we don't feel so, you know, alone or so unique, right? When we see that the British Queen has it harder than we do, we don't feel so bad about our own situation, perhaps. I don't, I don't know, I'm just spitballing on why we watch painful shows. Uh, some of the most painful shows are some of the most uh, watched. Um, either they're comic and very awkward, for example, The Office, right? Painful comedy, very painful. Uh, or uh, they're shows where the protagonists have so much hardship and make such bad decisions that they never recover and just continue to go downhill. Uh, until the end of the movie, and that's the end. And it's been nothing but bad news. Uh, and that's the movie Breaking Bad, or the, the television series Breaking Bad, and all the spin-offs that have gone with that. You know, it's all about people in a horrible predicament that just gets worse. <laughs> and, and we can't help ourselves but to tune in. This is the same thing with reality TV. Reality TV... Uh, we see people kind of, kind of like us, uh, in, in less scripted situations. Uh, but it's always dramatic, right? There's always some crap going on in their lives or, you know, relationship problems or whatever. And we just can't help watch it because it gets our mind off of our own problems. Uh, and, uh, yeah, perhaps makes us feel like we're, we're not so isolated. I don't know. It's kind of weird, right? Why we like to watch things that, that aren't, um, you know, just all, all roses and, and strawberry fields. Right? So for example, even the cartoons that were the most popular were always involved somebody getting hurt or somebody 
having an accident uh, or, or uh, you know, something. For example, you take the Roadrunner, uh, which was done, I think, by Warner Brothers back in the, I don't know, 70s, 60s, 70s, even 80s. All about this coyote who's constantly trying to catch the Roadrunner, uh, but he can't, and he's constantly hurting himself. And he's trying to kill the Roadrunner, but he, he always injures himself instead. And that's the whole thing, watching this Roadrunner make a fool of himself while all of his traps and contraptions backfire. And we love it. We think it's awesome. We think it's hysterical, right? Somehow we just uh, keep watching and keep watching, and it's interesting. And, and uh, yeah. it, it's quite strange, if you really think about it, the things that we consider comedy or comic. Uh, almost all comedy is is based on us laughing at somebody else's misfortune. And again, uh, maybe it's triggering the fact that, well, at least it's not me this time. You know, somebody else to laugh at. Uh, helps us uh, feel better about our own predicament, perhaps. I'm not sure what that dynamic is caused by, but I, the dynamic certainly exists. <coughs> Uh, yeah, when we, when we have escaped misfortune, but we witness somebody else in it, there's a different kind of dynamic. Instead of uh, sympathy, um, we often just, yeah, are just cruel and laugh about it and make fun of the people who are having a misfortune. But that's, that's what's funny to us. That's, that's what makes us laugh, you know. Maybe it's an uneasiness knowing that we may be next. I'm not sure. All that to say that we, we are looking either for hope or something to help us forget our miserable position in life. And of course, not all life is miserable. But I think just as it's important uh, to find joy in every day, I think it's maybe just as important to acknowledge that every day is going to be filled with, with uh, some hardship, some you know, whether it's just doing things you don't want to do, or whether it's you know not being able to find food and feed your family, or uh, your hardship that you experience is real to you, even though somebody in a much worse worse situation would not call your situation hardship but still it's you it's 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 real to you right so you you uh you only have your own experiences more more or less right to compare uh yourself to right today was better than yesterday therefore today is a good day but of course my today is better than almost Anybody under the poverty poverty line, probably, in, in in physical ways, not necessarily that they take it that way. Um, but my worst day is probably better than many people's best days, and uh, by no other virtue than the fact of you know where I live, where I was born, um, the uh, privileges that my my race. Uh, or my nationality uh, have afforded me. 
which is through no merit of my own, right? It's the basis of, you know, white privilege that's become a, a big catchphrase now, right? Some people are simply born and in better circumstances than others. It's, it's a fact of life. No need to uh, deny it. Uh, you can't deny it. But yet still, we, we still are uh, yeah, I guess subject to uh, our own situation, right? I compare my day today to my day yesterday, not to somebody else's day. But I think comparing it to someone else's day is probably the beginning of happiness. <laughs> Realizing that you're your misfortune could be much worse. Uh, maybe a way for you to embrace your current um, situation uh, and to make the most of it, right? To be grateful for where you are as opposed to um, resentful, for example. Um, which happens a lot with the royal family in the show I've been watching where, you know, they, they're miffed about things that we would be glad you know problems that most people would glad be glad to have uh, affect them quite deeply because they just don't know any better you know um, <clears throat> uh, I guess you know all that to say that our uh, our feelings are real Right? Our, our feelings are real and genuine to us, though we should be uh, careful in how we show those around people less fortunate than us. You know, we should be sensitive to the fact that uh, no matter how bad our situation is, there are many people that have it much worse. Not that we don't have bad situations. Um, I think it's just healthy to think in those terms. Uh, acknowledging that you could have a truly horrendous situation happen in your life uh, where, you know, that principle doesn't apply necessarily. You could have one of the worst days a man has ever had on the face of this earth. It could happen. I hope not, and I hope I don't have it either. It does happen. Looks like they're closing down. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, hope. Hope. Everybody wants it. Everybody needs it. Um, and I think, I think the greatest hope that we have is the hope that Jesus brings us which is, no matter what you do, no matter what happens to you, no matter what you do to yourself or to others, or what people do to you, no matter how successful you are, or educated you are, or how uneducated you are, or unsuccessful you are, regardless of all of that, Jesus is taking care of you and will take care of you. 
That's the hope that Jesus brings. That he is the God that we all want. Uh, and he indeed has the characteristics of the God we all need. That he is too good to be true. And yet he is true. He is too good to be true. Um, and that applies to us and that applies to all the people we don't like. Uh, it applies to everybody. Nobody will be evaluated based on our performance as human beings. Uh, Jesus, through his grace and love, is reconciling the entire creation back to himself, and that includes every human being. Uh, I think I am becoming a, a unashamed universalist. Um, started listening to a new book yesterday on universalism. It'll actually be the first book uh, specifically about universalism that I've listened to. Audio, audible, audible book. But to me, that's gospel, right? That's that's the good news. The good news is that uh, our God has has saved us in no uncertain terms. That He is a God who preserves and saves, who gives life, and gives abundant eternal life, right? Who gives heavenly life to all freely. He doesn't hold our sins against us. Uh, and that's the hope that came into the world uh, on Christmas. And that's the hope that everybody wanted. Everybody wants deliverance from the, the snares that bind us. Right? The, the traps that we find ourselves in. We all want to be delivered. And we all need deliverance. And so we have... We have the hope that all the captives, all the prisoners, uh, are being set free and will be set free. Um, and that's the good news that Jesus came to bring us. The kingdom of heaven is the reconciling force that is sweeping the world. Um, and, and introducing people to their salvation. The salvation that they have in Christ. Uh, and that is good news, and that is the hope we have. Right? That is wonderful hope. Well, I think I'll leave it there, and uh, we'll see what we talk about next Advent season. Uh, next Advent week, sorry. Next week. Uh, we have hope, joy, love, and one more I can't remember right now. <laughs> hope, love, joy, hope. You would think faith, but that's not the case. Hope, joy, love, and something else. Uh, I'm sure it's awesome. So see you next time. Bye-bye.